I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Today, we are talking about SBA 7A financing for startup practices and healthcare acquisitions. We have Jerry Friedman on the show. He's a loan broker consultant. He doesn't like the word broker. I think a lot of brokers don't like the word broker, but a loan consultant, he can help you. If you are a therapist, a dentist, a healthcare provider, he can help you potentially get a loan or working capital or line of credit to open up your first practice. Or if you're a practice that is looking to grow and expand, a line of credit, working capital to enhance construction projects and or to acquire your next clinic or build out your next clinic. I'm Dave Kittle, owner of Concierge Pain Relief, home physical therapy in New York City, and CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We're currently speaking with practice owners about partnering or acquiring some or all their practice. Jerry, welcome on the show. What's going on? How are you doing, Dave? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So I appreciate your time. I connected with you, or we've been connected on LinkedIn. There was a graphic about a, a couple of things. I think the one was a home health company startup financing that you helped get. Before we get into that, just give the audience a little bit of uh, background about your situation, who you help, and then we'll kind of get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so just a little bit about myself, some background, and also why I hate to call myself a broker. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I used to be an auditor. Uh, I was an auditor for some of the larger accounting firms here on the East Coast. We audited uh, private companies primarily because they had bank loans. Banks are not giving out uh, money for free. You know, they, they want to make sure that uh, these companies are clean and uh, our clients would hire us to do audits, which we then send to the lenders, just kind of give them some comfortability that things are, are squeaky clean. I did that for over five years before I went out and became the CFO of a middle market company over here in, uh, in, in New Jersey. Before I said, the heck with this, you know, I'm done working for other people. I'm going out on my own, you know, and really I set out to be more like a fractional CFO, a freelance CFO. For smaller businesses or medium-sized businesses, maybe couldn't afford to pay a CFO 250 grand. So I'd come in on a monthly basis, help them with financial reporting. Now, naturally, throughout my career, there was always that banking aspect, that lending aspect, which was crucial to what we did. On the auditing side, we were doing audits for lenders or to give lenders that comfortability. On the CFO side, I was helping companies uh, managing their banking and lending relationships. So when I went out on my own, you know, I started seeing this just this massive demand where companies, rapidly growing companies, uh, startups, early stage startups, even established companies, they needed some form of financing, but they didn't really they didn't really have the skills to communicate their story to lenders and kind of help get things to the finish line. So utilizing my background and experience in accounting, finance, CFO work, I started helping a couple of clients, was successful at that. And then at the end of 2018, I kind of pivoted to just focusing on helping entrepreneurs and companies get access to capital from banks and SBA lenders. Got it. And in your recent history, you've helped practices acquire other practices. And those practices could be the practice only or the practice plus the real estate. 
And then you've also held practices with working capital lines of credit for new construction. I mean, we're going to, we're going to get into all of it right now, but if they're going to move offices, like let's say, um, you know, they, the end of their lease comes to term. Now the landlord wants to squeeze them and jack up their rent. And now the practice is like, oh man, we got to look for, you know, we got to find a different leasehold, a different location. You can help them with that as well with the construction and the build out. So really the, the two themes here, the working line, the line of capital, working capital, line of credit, and the acquisition financing, what should we go into first? Uh, yeah, I guess uh, I guess the working capital is kind of just a good starting point. Sometimes we talk to businesses and they're like, yeah, hey, we don't need loans. We're like super profitable. And like we start walking through their financials and their accounting reports and like, hey, you know, you have this massive gap, you know, between your receivables and what you need to cover in overhead. And like, hey, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like, yeah, we're super profitable. We have a cash crunch. It's kind of very normal for established companies or rapidly growing companies to have a cash crunch. There's no shame in that. And that's really where a line of credit comes in. Uh, a line of credit uh, is there to bridge a short-term cash crunch. And we very frequently see that in medical practices where you know there's a turnaround time in collecting from insurance companies. And even uh, established successful practices often need to dip into lines of credit for short periods of time to help cover overhead and payroll and things like that. Do those all typically require any, you know, for some guarantees or are they secured or give us some more insight there? Yeah. So typically the way uh, working capital lines of credit work is the lender will file uh, what's called a blanket, a UCC filing and business assets, which is UCC is a, a filing that kind of gives the lender first position in the practice as assets if things go south. I've rarely seen business loans that do not have a personal guarantee associated with it. Oftentimes, you know, depending on the lender, it could be anyone who has more than 10% equity in the business or the practice, or some lenders have a 20% threshold. When you're talking about really large deals, you know, maybe a few million dollars, if a company's looking to get a, a line of credit of a few million dollars, you'll still need that personal guarantee, but there may be some flexibility there in terms of like, well, which partner is going to guarantee? But there always will be a personal guarantee. It's, it's a rarity that a, a business loan does not have a personal guarantee. Got it. And so is that how it's always been? Or was I feel like maybe it, it could have been or previously was more of there was an option of like the guarantee was on like the business entity itself guaranteed by the business, but not necessarily a personal guarantee. So what have you seen maybe in the past five or 10 years, like any changes there? Or has it always been mostly personal guarantees? I, I mean, I've always only seen personal guarantees. You know, when you start talking about larger companies, Coca-Cola size companies, you know, that's I'm like, yeah, okay, there's no personal guarantee. But but on the on the on the small, medium-sized business side, they're really relying heavily on the sponsors, on the owners of the company, the owners of the practice, and their ability to repay the loan. So they're always going to want a personal guarantee. Got it. What else with these? working capital lines of credit. You mentioned the pre-interview that the practice owner does not have to be a real estate owner. And for that, they could utilize the SBA or commercial avenues for these options, for these financing options. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so just to be clear, so SBA loans come from regular lenders. They just have a guarantee from the SBA that kind of allows them to do riskier deals, riskier transactions. So oftentimes, you can go to one lender and say, hey, I need a $500,000 line of credit. They'll say, okay, sure, we'll give it to you, but we have to utilize the SBA's guarantee to kind of offer this to you. 
uh, uh, and that could really change the the fees involved. It could change the interest rate structure, the term of the line of credit. On the flip side, some others say, "Hey, you know what? This is a very uh, this is a medical practice or a dental practice. It's kind of a safer bet. Strong established business, established revenues, established client customer base. We'll do this conventionally, you know. And and uh, but but the point is that it can either be SBR conventional in that kind of really depends on the lender, the writing criteria and guidelines. Got it. Anything else for this component of working capital line of credit or jumping into the acquisition financing options? I guess really like, uh, you know, if a practice needs, I think there's this idea out there that to get capital from lenders is like this super complex, super lengthy process. And yeah, in some cases it could be. I mean, there's thousands of lenders out there, right? There's over 6,000 FDIC insured banks in this country. And each one of them do some form of lending to businesses. You know, what I like to tell people is that depending on the size of the request, you kind of got to know where to go and what to do. And obviously that's where we come in. But if you're looking for 150, 200 grand and you're like kind of an established practice or even $250,000, like we could kind of get that done relatively quickly, very favorable terms, two, three week process not some time intensive or, you know, people get scared off by paperwork, not a lot of paperwork involved. And obviously, if you're looking for $3 million, that's kind of a little bit of a different beast. But there's just this inherent fear of, well, you know, there's a lot of preconceived notions of like, hey, the bank's not going to approve me, uh, or I have horrible credit. I, in the meantime, they have like 750 which is fine. You know, you just the idea is there's really a lot of lenders out there that offer unique products that kind of make it a little easier um, to get approved, to get them closed, get you quicker access to capital in you know, it's not about, you know, your bank that you're dealing with necessarily. It definitely are options out there. Got it. And obviously this might change over time depending on your client's needs. But right now I'm curious, like, do, are you, you know, 50-50 split between your clients who need like a line of credit and then financing for acquisitions? Or what is your, you know, day-to-day look like in terms of like your client's current like needs at this point? Yeah, it's definitely hard to attribute a percentage necessarily, but acquisitions is a big part of what we do. And then the other half, I would say, is kind of everything else. But business acquisitions is a big part of it. The market is completely, you know, it's super hot, even in this this environment that we're in, the rising rate environment. But if you have a good cash flowing deal, we have plenty of lenders out there that are ready to jump on it, can get the transaction consummated. The other half, is kind of a combination of working capital, real estate, equipment, and just general uh, expansion funds. Got it. And again, you're you're not a you're not a lender, but you will. Is it kind of like you're taking these practice owners by the hand, almost as like maybe not a white glove service, or maybe it is in regards to you probably have like a, a list of preferred lenders, and you maybe be able to get to the front of the line, or at least get your clients prepared and their documents and everything packaged in a way that is maybe more efficient than if they were doing it on their own? Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I would definitely call it a more of a white glove service. You do have a lot of brokers out there that just say, hey, meet ABC Bank. And then, you know, they're just kind of chasing after you to get paid. With us, it's like we're helping with all the documentation, pulling it all together, pulling a clean package together, presenting it to the lender, submitting the application, and really seeing it through to the uh, finish line. 
Um, we recently helped an internal medicine, uh, an internist get approved for a line of credit. He was with a bank for like 15 years and they did not want to give him that line of credit. And he came to us. I'm still not sure how he came to us. <laughs> I guess in the social media age, you know, people just reach out. But he came to us. We were able to get him uh, approved for a $250,000 line of credit at prime plus a half a point. In a matter of three weeks, he had access to those funds. So that's kind of what we specialize in. I think a white glove service is it's kind of cliche, but that re- really is what it is. We kind of hold our clients' hands from start through finish. Got it. Now, also in the pre-interview, you mentioned that you know you're growing your LinkedIn. You're also seeing a growth in on Twitter in regards to the SMB Twitter space, which I definitely have seen a growth in that in the past year or two. Are you connected with Matthias Smith? Do you know Matthias? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we talk all the time. Yeah, yeah. So I got I got to have him on the show. I haven't yet. He gets paid via some other channel, like I like via the SBA or something like that. Is that similar to like? Are you similar? to what he does or like I, I can kind of say like he does something similar white glove service. He has a preferred list of lenders. He can help someone like me, a practice owner that's looking to buy and, and expand practices. He can uh, help with the documentation and almost like white glove service, skip the line, like can get things financed and knows what the lenders want in regards to this whole presentation. Uh, do you do things similar or there are some differences there? Yeah, I guess I guess we're kind of similar in a sense. I, you know, again, I, I can't talk to him, but I, you know, I could just tell you that we're like super, super immersed. We kind of hold our clients' hands throughout the entire process. But yeah, we have a preferred list of lenders. You know, a lot of brokers out there kind of like to like, yeah, well, we got a thousand lenders in our network. Like, whoa, okay, like you can't possibly doing business be doing business with a thousand lenders every day. So. We kind of, over the years, we've built up a network of about 20 lenders we work with on a regular basis. These are lenders that we send deals to all the time. We know their credit box. We know what they want to hear, what they want to see. So when we get a deal, we don't shop it around. There's no shopping here. You know, If a client says, hey, give me a few options, we'll try to do that for them. But we get a deal, we feel we can do the deal. We know which lenders we're going to and who can get it done. Regarding, you mentioned getting paid from the lender. So what happens in the SBA 7A market is a lot of lenders portfolio their loans and sell them off into what's called a secondary market. So they're kind of making a premium on that. And then they're also still servicing the loan too. So essentially to enhance or to grow their business, they try to give incentives to brokers to uh, to send them deals. On our end, sometimes... You know, we'll get paid from lenders, but not all the time. We kind of have to work in the best interest of our clients. And we kind of have to make sure we're taking them to a lender that is offering them the best terms, not necessarily who's giving us the best referral fee. So on larger deals, it may just be like, hey, yeah, well, we're only getting paid from the lender. But sometimes it may be like, look, you want the best terms, the best structure, the highest LTV and financing. Like we're not going to get paid from the lender because we know the lender that are offering that are not going to pay us. And then on the flip side, there's also just really small deals, you know, on the four or $500,000 deal. It just, we got to get paid from the borrower, you know, like we got to put bread on the table. Right. So there may be a fee for the practice owner or there may not be. It just Yeah. Depends. Yeah. And, and we kind of communicate that sort of earlier on in the process. What we like to do is, is because of my background in, in, in finance, I underwrite or we underwrite these deals. Like it's not just about 
send us all this information and we'll ship it off to lenders. We underwrite the deals. We kind of know what we can do, you know, within a matter of, I guess, hours or a few days, you know, for us to review everything. Based on that, we'll come back to them and say, hey, look, here's what we can do. And we kind of communicate how we'll get compensated much earlier on in the process. Got it. There's no um, surprises. That's kind of my point. Got it. Do you mind if I share your LinkedIn real quick? And then one of these graphics, you can kind of just walk us through. Yeah, sure. No problem. And then you, you can kind of walk us through one of these graphics. Absolutely. So, all right, here's Jerry Friedman on LinkedIn. You can connect with him there. Uh, we'll probably put those links in the show notes below. So this was a revolving line of credit. Walk us through this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so if you scroll up a little to the uh, the body of the post, I mean, this guy has been banking with a certain bank that will be not be named for many years. The company has been around for many years as relative. They've been around for a couple of years and, and generally lenders can see the activity or bankers can see the activity. So you'd assume that, hey, this is like, this company's doing many millions. They're profitable. The bank would want to extend them credit, but they did not have success with that. You know, the company's been around for a couple of years. The owner of the company was very young, definitely a little bit of a funky industry, got slammed by COVID. And he came to us and said, hey, look, we need help getting financing. And uh, they're really growing rapidly, take some time to get paid. Uh, in the meantime, they got to buy inventory. And uh, we were able to secure them this $400,000 line of credit. Now, they came to us for two fifty, and and uh, they were just super ecstatic. We were able to get them $400,000. It wasn't that lengthy of a process. But basically, kind of what I touched on earlier, some lenders will say, yeah, we'll lend this company money. But because they had a COVID impact or the sponsors, like young with minimal liquidity, not in a strong financial condition, we want to use the SBA's guarantee to kind of reduce the bank's exposure. And that's what they did here. So they approved them for $400,000. It was an SBA Express line of credit. This is kind of good for three years. You know, he's able to draw down on the principal for three years, pay it back when he wants. After three years, if there's a balance, it essentially will get termed out for four years. The rate was prime plus two, which the max on SBA loans is actually prime plus three. And on, you know, so this is definitely a decent spread, a decent rate, and it's an APR. They followed a blinky UCC. So they weren't looking for like a specific amount of collateral. They just said, okay, this company's cash flowing, they're profitable. We'll just follow this blanket lean on the business assets. This is one of the other big benefits of SBA loans. Annual reporting is really light. They literally just ask for financial statements on the personal and business, and then tax returns, both personal and business once they're filed. That's it. You know, a lot of banks will say, yeah, we'll give you 500000 or $2 million, and they want you to report to them monthly or quarterly. Or they want, you know, they have certain covenants in place that like, hey, you got to pass these ratio tests. In this case, there's no covenants. It just, it's super favorable uh, for smaller businesses. And it's it's a really unrestrictive kind of relationship. Awesome. That's great. Anything to wrap this up before we, uh, I want to see, I want to see if you have your, the home health graphic or maybe the other one, the position, do you have a graphic for either one of those? Yeah. Or if you could scroll down, you could scroll down. It's a couple of posts back. That's actually a good one to discuss. They go to show all posts. Yep. And by the way, if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, jump over to the YouTube, Abe Kittle Show on YouTube, and we are going through some graphics here to kind of walk through these financings on uh, Jerry's LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Right there. Boom. Boom. There we go. Yeah. So this is like a really interesting, this is a great case study. The founders of the startup 
but they weren't yet founders and they approached me. They said, hey, we're in the home healthcare industry. We want to leverage our experience and start something up on our own. Naturally, without violating any non-competes, they went to a different locale, a different geographic location. And you know, they had they had a strong business plan. They had extensive experience in the industry. And we were able to secure for them the startup financing to start their company. It was really, really phenomenal. But you know, I know we'll get a little bit more into the acquisition side of things. But really, what I'm seeing is a lot of W-2 employees, uh, even in safer industries, kind of like, hey, like, why do I want to be stuck in this job with limited potential? Let me go start something on my own or buy an existing company. Kind of give me that unlimited potential, kind of release me from the shackles of W-2 income and really give myself the potential to really go next level. And that's really what happened here. They were in safe and secure jobs. Like, hey, we can do this on our own. We know how to do this. Now, they needed the financing, naturally, a lot of payroll, a lot of startup expenses. So what we were able to do for them here is essentially get them approved for a 10-year SBA 7A loan. Now, the lender, what happens with, with working capital is that most lenders do not just cut blank checks. Like They say, okay, we'll approve you for X amount of money, but they're not just dropping that money in a bank account. It's got to be heavily substantiated. The funds have to be justified, the uses of the funds. Uh, and the SBA comes down very heavy on lenders for that. So what they do is the lender says, okay, we'll approve you for X amount of money. If you can't substantiate a chunk of it at closing, then they'll give you what's called like a draw period. So it's a 10-year loan, but they'll give you a few months, so let's say, draw down on it. Once that draw period is over, at that point, it kind of turns into a, a fully amortizing loan for the rest of the period on the loan. So in this case, they approve them for $650,000. They gave them three months to use those funds. Not only that, another benefit here, they also made the first nine, nine months of the loan interest only. So that kind of makes the monthly payments a little lighter. The next thing that we tried to structure it, and we always tried to do this with startups and even acquisitions, you always want to get a line of credit thrown into the deal. And lenders don't like to give SBA express lines of credit on a standalone basis because they're a guarantee from the SBA is lower. So when you're doing a start, sorry, a 10-year loan, it's always good to see if you can get a, a line of credit thrown into the mix. And the reason for that is simple, because the benefit of the SP Express line of credit is that you'll have access to those funds for a couple of years. So they don't have to touch the line of credit until they actually need it, which is really nice. So for example, the $650,000, they were given three months to draw down on it. But on the line of credit, they actually have a three-year draw period. So even if they don't need it today, they know, hey, they're expecting the company to really blow up in a year or two years. They'll have access to those funds. So they have that three-year draw period, super, super favorable. And then they have a seven-year term out after the three-year draw period. Now, the interest rate, the lender's definitely taking closer to the max because it's a startup loan. You know, there's just a tremendous amount of risk there. I mean, kind of like what we touched on earlier, a startup loan is really the hardest deal to do. There's no established history. Uh, and the lender's kind of relying on the business plan and projections. And then kind of these other things we touched on earlier, you know, light annual reporting, personal guarantee, and no covenants. That's kind of synonymous with, with all SBA loans. And then I like to highlight sometimes the speed of which the transaction closed, because that's really where we add a lot of value. This was a 30-day closing. We really help guide our clients, hold their hands all the way till the closing table. It gets very nuanced. There's a lot of work involved. It's definitely more intensive. And very often... We're on the phone with with our clients' uh, attorneys, their counsel, helping them work through things that they may not have experience with on the SBA side. 
we're really there to help our clients get deals closed. It's not just about introducing them to a bank. The 30-day closing, is that from initial phone call? Like, Jerry, if you and I had an initial phone call today and then 30 days to closing, or is it like you have to get their financial documents from that day and then 30 days? Yeah, I wish. The 30 yeah. Days? yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, I wish it was from the phone call till they get their funds. <laughs> 30 days. I mean, on a smaller deal, like 250 and under, that could be possible. But on SBA 7A, it's definitely a much lengthier process, especially the larger loans. So that closing time is from commitment. So generally, once you submit a, a package to a lender for underwriting, most lenders, or so I don't want to say most lenders, I want to say lenders that actually are aggressive and want to lend, it takes them about two weeks to underwrite a deal, give or take. Could be quicker, could be shorter. At that point, sorry, it could be longer. At that point, you get a loan decision, a commitment letter. So when I say 30-day closing, it's from commitment. From you get that approval till you actually close the deal. And the reason why 30 days is, is quick is because oftentimes it can take 45 days, 60 days, 90 days. Uh, and you know, part of the way we speed things up is ABCI for having us involved and kind of pushing the lender, making sure things are reviewed timely. There are certain things that borrowers can do as part of underwriting that really helps speed up the closing process. For example, many SBA loans require life insurance to have a life insurance policy assigned to the lender, the collateral, it's called a collateral assignment, where God forbid, if someone passes, business goes under, the lender could collect on the proceeds of the life insurance policy to recoup their principal. That's something that could take a while. Many life insurance companies drag their feet on that. A big part of that is because the life insurance agents are not necessarily familiar with the process, what's needed, how to expedite it. So like, for example, in this deal, we guided them through this process during the underwriting process. So during underwriting, we kind of had that wrapped up. So there were no delays in closing. And that's just one example. Got it. Do you have another graphic? I only have about 10 minutes or less for this. Do you have another graphic for an acquisition to run through that real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Let me just get one open here. Let's discuss an acquisition. Sorry, bear with me. Uh, no problem. I'm going to scroll through here on your LinkedIn in case you had one handy, but you pull up something if you got it. Or we could just riff on it without any screen share. All right, don't worry. We got a folder here. I just want to find a good one to discuss, you know? Okay. Yeah, here you go. I guess we'll, this is a good one. This is like a landscaping one. I know it's not healthcare, but this is kind of a, a very good... Okay, you want me to share my screen? Yes, go ahead. Yeah, so this is kind of, uh, you know, we mentioned M&A and, and ETA or entrepreneurialism through acquisition where where you have uh, either uh, W-2 employees, you know, that have experience in a certain industry and they say, or transferable skills and say, hey, what well, I'm done with this. You know, let's buy a company, give myself that potential to really grow. Or sometimes you even have an established company that will say, hey, there's a local competitor in town that's for sale. Let's grow our company by buying that company which is very common and we do a lot of those. But this is kind of just a good uh, example of an acquisition. We did this for a comfort a borrower down in Florida who he came to us, he had an LOI out on a commercial landscaping company in Florida. You know, they service gated communities, homeowners associations with landscaping needs. Florida is actually nice for these because it's a year-round business there. Anyways, he came to us. What was interesting here and was kind of unique, he didn't have any experience in commercial landscaping, but he did have managerial experience. You know, we were able to help him and guide him with crafting a resume, a business plan, and ultimately we we helped him get approved for this deal. 
Now, this deal was uh, financed, 90% financing. Yeah, he brought 10% to the closing table. And by the way, there are some recent changes where you can actually get even more financing than 90% in some instances. But he wanted to put down a little bit more either way. But he financed 90%. We financed the entire acquisition. Plus, we also got him a working capital at close, close to $200,000. The terms were pretty standard SBA terms. We got a pretty good interest rate. This was prime plus 1.75, which is a point less than what we typically get uh, on deals that have minimal collateral. And it was great here also. It kind of similar what we touched on with the startup. We like to work with lenders that offer the lines of credit as part of the deal as well. Oftentimes, you buy a company and you know, even if you're getting working capital from the lender, if you worked out some working capital deal with the seller where you, you know, you're taking their receivables, there's always going to reach a point where a growing company will need some sort of financing. And it's not a bad thing. It's just a lot's going on. You know, you're, you're growing rapidly. You got to cover your overhead, your inventory, equipment. You're waiting to collect from customers. It's a completely normal thing in a healthy company. You know, and, and a lot of times entrepreneurs, even established business owners, don't necessarily understand that. But we kind of try to hone in on that point and we try to build in that line of credit for this reason. Similarly, like the other deal, they have a multiple years to draw down on this line of credit. And then it gets turned out after a period of time if there's a balance. So it's kind of like a no-brainer. There's no covenants, light annual reporting, personal guarantee. The one thing I do want to stress about SPA 7A is that one of the, the benefits, besides for the high leverage that you can get, one of the biggest benefits is that it's a cash flow-based product. What that means is that even if the company that you're looking to buy or if you're looking for growth capital for an existing company, they don't necessarily need collateral to get the loan approved. Right? On the conventional lending side, they need collateral. If it's a real estate deal, they need the real estate. If it's a conventional line of credit, they generally want inventory or accounts receivable to secure the line of credit, at least the larger ones. With SBA 7A, it does not need collateral. Like we've done some pretty crazy deal. I'll pull up another quick deal here. Well, Jer- Jerry, is that because yeah. the company is basically the collateral and also and or the banking institutions, if the practice owner, the business owner defaults, the, these financial institutions don't want to necessarily take on these businesses? Like they don't want to, they, they'll take the collateral of a real, of real estate because then they maybe are more equipped to, you know, sell it and get rid of it. Do they also not want to have to be managing these businesses well, if he, the person defaults? Well, look, they're definitely going to look, if someone defaults, they're definitely going to look to liquidate the business to the extent that they can and recoup their losses. But ultimately, they're supposed to be relying on the SBA's guarantee. That's literally the purpose of the SBA's guarantee. And what happens is, and I just want to stress this, is that. There's over 3,000 SBA lenders in this country. 99.99% of them, they're still ultra conservative. They still want collateral. They still want everything under the sun. And they're just falling back on the SBA to really minimize their exposure. But they're not really acting within the spirit of the SBA program. The reason why there's a 75% guarantee is to really allow lenders to do deals that don't fit their conventional credit box. Most lenders do not really act within the spirit of the program, and they're relying on SBA guarantee as a fallback. Now, the lenders we work with, they're relying on the SBA guarantee, and they're acting within the spirit of the program, which means they kind of look at the SBA's minimum requirements, and things that are left at the lender's discretion are 
kind of, you know, they're looked at as like, okay, that's just at our discretion, but this is a good, strong cash flow in business. So we don't need the collateral. We're not going to go collateralize everything under the sun. We're going to prove a loan that kind of, hey, there's maybe it doesn't necessarily make the most sense from a conventional perspective. That's really the purpose of SBA financing. And that's why they can offer maximum leverage, which you can't get anywhere else in, you know, there's a collateral shortfall, no problem. We did an $8 million deal in 2021. There was about $300,000 in collateral on the deal, you know? And and by the way, this is something else. There are rules about collateral. It's not just like, hey, they can approve a deal without collateral. Like the SBA does give them some rules. And it is often, you know, it often happens where lenders collateralize outside real estate because they're required to. There are instances where they're required to, and sometimes it's at their discretion. And I, I just want to reiterate that, you know, we work with lenders. They look at that lender discretion as a way to really get aggressive and lend and act within the spirit of the program. And by the way, just one more point I want to stress, and we're like kind of short on time. What happens in the SBA world? I mean, the SBA rule book is like four or 500 pages long. And sometimes you're dealing with loan officers who they don't really know much, right? And they say, hey, this is an SBA rule. And you know what? It's not really the SBA rule. It's really their bank's credit policy when doing an SBA deal. Here's how they have to do it. So what I always like to tell borrowers is don't take what lenders are telling you as an SBA rule at face value. And there's options out there. There's lenders that are way more aggressive. I think people don't recognize how there really is a difference by going to bank A over bank B. And it could be because they're more aggressive. They act as in the spirit of the program. They're hungry to do business. That's really a big one, right? A lot of lenders do loans, do SBA loans, but they do a couple a year. Like, do you really want to go take your acquisition deal to a lender that does 15 deals a year? I mean, does that give you comfortability in like getting the deal done and seeing it through uh, to the closing table? So all these things kind of have to be evaluated when choosing a lender and who to work with. Got it. Jerry, this was awesome. Definitely would like to have you back on the show in the future. And we can certainly go through more case studies and more of your anonymous client stories here. What's a good place, whether it's LinkedIn, your website, email address, we'll put some of that stuff in the show notes below, but just let the audience know where they can uh, learn more about you or connect with you further. Yeah, absolutely. So on Twitter, I can be found at SMB Financing Guy. And on LinkedIn, you could just search for Jerry Freeman and Freeman's with two E's. I like to share a lot of valuable content on social media. It's not just about selling. Um, besides for closed deals, we share tips. We share tips and tricks, general knowledge. Like I'm all about storytelling. And there's always a story and you know things to learn from. And then there's also just my general uh, background in business, uh, accounting, auditing, finance, CFO work. It's just, I, I like to say I'm a great person to follow, but I am a little biased. I am a little biased. Uh, and then <laughs> if anyone has any questions, you can direct message me through either of those platforms or email me at jerry, J-R-Y, at freedombm.com. Awesome, Jerry. Thank you so much for your time. If you guys find this valuable and helpful, subscribe to the Dave Kittle Show on YouTube. We'll catch you next time here on the show. Jerry, thanks a lot. Thanks, Dave, for having me. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or 
You can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.